Hi, Chris here, and I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that this week's show has a few audio issues, and I've tried to fix as many of them as I can in the editing, uh, but there's still some problems with sound levels and some annoying background noises and stuff uh, that I wasn't able to do anything about, but hopefully it won't spoil your enjoyment of the programme too much, and hopefully next week it'll sound better, and I hope you enjoy the show. Always in the middle. <laughs> Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Yeah, we talked about so much. We covered a lot. The Muppets, Pooh, yeah. Muppets, animation in general. <laughs> yes! That was the thing that woke me up when I was listening on the train. I was I was on a nice train journey. It was kind of like a, a Friday evening. I was winding down, and then all of a sudden... <laughs> Darkness! <laughs> oh, that was it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd wake you up. Totally. Uh, I just watched it a little bit ago, and uh, I have to say, I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of on the precipice of trying, you know, either like I'm, I'm between apprehension and excitement. 
Like, it looks, like, the general, like, backgrounds and the environment and stuff looks fantastic. I am really excited, you know, just, like, just to see the kind of environment that they're creating with this, you know, world where the dinosaurs did not get wiped out. But at the same time, it's just, like, I don't know, maybe it's just the design of the, the, the main dinosaur character. I'm still just not, it still looks a bit more cartoony than I was expecting, at least compared mm. to the backgrounds themselves. Yeah, it's really tricky, isn't it? I was talking to some people this week and we were trying to work out what the problem was because um, some people say that about um, Ghibli films. They say, oh, the backgrounds are amazing, but the animation's a bit, you know, a bit too cartoony, a bit too simple and leaves something to be desired. Um, it's really weird why this is now an issue because when you think back to, you know, Finding Nemo, the environments there were amazing but they were stylized just enough so that these cartoon fish running through them didn't stand out too much mm-hmm. it's it's tricky but the film looks um you know again like i didn't uh with the inside out trailers i wasn't too sure on the movie based on them and i ended up really enjoying inside out so i'm you know i'm i'm happy to say at the moment i'm gonna wait for the movie because i'm not sure from I'm not sure of the movie from these trailers. Yeah. Like, you get a sense of atmosphere that they're trying to go for. I think, you do, at least with, definitely with this new trailer, you're getting a lot better sense of the atmosphere. But at the same time, it's just like, it's still not enough to really get a good idea of what the film's going to be about exactly. But at the same time, it's just like, that's, that kind of gives a lot of potential to be, you know, like, to really surprise you. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it's a weird movie. It's so weird. There's a lot of, like, real hardship and, like, famine, and it's it's a strange movie, that one. I wouldn't say it's bad necessarily. It's just it it kind of is in that realm of movies where it's like it's not bad, but it's not really good either. It's in that like that neutral zone where you don't really remember much about it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, now that now you, you just you say that, and now all of a sudden it, it kind of hits me. That that same thought just hit me, and I'm like, whoa. That's interesting. That's really perceptive. Yeah. Yeah, I think I there's a likelihood you're right. I think about that. Very right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and yeah. Just, like, just that alone's got me got me super happy. To be honest, I I was not as excited for the good time 
for the good dinosaur as I was before I saw um, Inside Out. Now I've seen Inside Out. I'm like, Pixar's back, everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, bring it on. Is that through manga? Showing at least as in my local theater because I found out one of my one of my uh, local theaters is actually showing it so I'm like I'm heading I'm there I'm gonna be there the first night and uh, I'll check it out see uh, how well it holds up. <laughs> it's a tube yeah it's, it's it's weird how they're marketing those films that as a you know they're both separate films but they're technically two parts of a story of how you know since the the manga ended so now they're trying to wrap up the whole thing with naruto now that he's you know he's growing up and having kids and so on <laughs> <laughs> Probably sometime um either this winter or coming you know or probably like by the end of this year cuz from what I know, at least of the, uh, the, the Naruto manga and I've, I've up with the anime, it looks like they're, they're on the home stretch. They just need to try and have more episodes that will get through that plot <laughs> more often than we should, we should reach it by the end of the year.
All right, I'm just going to say this now. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Yeah. I need pre- that right now. Yeah. You can pre-order it. <laughs> save, save, save your pennies because oh, it's expensive. Yeah. Well, I've been working so hard. I'm going to save it. I'm saving it up for this, man. <laughs> oh no! All the Miyazaki films are Disney, apart from Cagliostro, which is, I think, Discotheque, yeah, and Discotheque, and, um, uh, a bunch of, uh, people are re-releasing Cagliostro in the US later this year as, like, a deluxe DV, uh, deluxe Blu-ray. Mm. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Via Disco, via Discotheque again, right? Is that the one with David Hayter? Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That is strange. Yeah, I think the one, the version I have of that movie is the one with David Hayter, and I, I'm sorry. As much, I mean, he did a great job in that movie, and I and I love him to death. But uh, sometimes when he it was more angry voice, I'm like, all I hear is Metal Gear. <laughs> <laughs> the node yeah it's um I, I the question is like whether they i don't think they're ever going to do this for takahata because um i don't because in the uk and in australia takahata's films were released under madhouse or studio canal yeah sorry madman yeah and um and i don't think all of takahata's films have even been released in the u.s I don't think so because I think only yesterday so- hasn't. Um, Pompoko was, yeah. yeah Pompoko had a Disney release, and um, what was the other one? Uh, oh god, I can't remember the Yamadas? name. Yeah, my that neighbors, one. Yeah, my neighbors are Yamadas. I think Disney finally released a Blu-ray of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would actually recently that and a couple of other um early Miyazaki and Takahata films, the shorts, got re released on Blu ray in Japan. So we might see a Blu ray of Panda Go Panda like next year. I and, I'm uh, holding out for it. And one other film, a uh, uh, Miyazaki film that I know I don't think Disney touched at all, at least when they were um when in terms of distribution. Mononoke, that was a separate di- distribution uh, company, wasn't it? Which was a Disney company. Yeah. Oh, no, it was. Okay. 
Yeah. And and that was when um, Toshio Suzuki, the producer at Studio Ghibli and the producer of all of Miyazaki's films, um, stood up to Harvey Weinstein. And this is one of my favorite stories. He stood up to like Harvey Weinstein, which is, you know, which is amazing in itself. (laughs) And apparently he sent him a sword in the post with, with a tag that said, no cuts. Wow. <laughs> and and after then they realized okay so you know we're in a proper negotiation they're not just going to lie down and and do what we say. Mhm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And 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 they and they was slightly, um, you know, they rewrote the script a little bit more. It was written. Interestingly enough, or perhaps not, depending on how interesting you think this is, um, Neil Gaiman actually wrote the script for the dub of Princess Mononoke. Yeah, um, and I guess that's kind of cool if you uh, if you're into him. To yeah, it's me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so that Blu-ray is going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas was touched on as well, wasn't it? Is that Yuki's son? That was the first thing Miyazaki ever directed. Oh, wow! Rather expensive. Rather expensive, but very exciting. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, actually, also, if you're, if you're in the US at all, like, um, Discotech do great re-releases. They did one recently of, um, the, actually, Takahata's first film, 
um, which has a bunch of different titles, but I think is called Horus Prince of the Sun. They recently did a re-release of it in, in the US, and it has commentaries by um, Mike O'Toole and uh, Daniel Thomas McInnes, who runs the Ghibli blog, and they're really, really great commentaries, which really give some interesting insight to like the production and it's just a great release. So I thoroughly recommend like that you try and seek that out. <laughs> Sad face. No, absolutely not, right? what they decided it what they try to do with it i mean because per in my in my heart nothing will ever match the animated films because that's what i grew up with and i don't know how much of that's nostalgia but at the same time it's just you know as long as they try and you know do something you know different and just try not to and, and are not trying to make the movies just simple like cash grabs then you know the effort that they put in through those movies is gonna is gonna show and people are gonna enjoy them. But at the same time, it's just like if you're just doing these remakes for the sake of just you know hoping to make money off the name alone, then I have no interest. I I can't tell what they're doing. I can't tell if they're okay. So they're, they're taking these stories which which Disney adapted years ago from their original source materials. And yeah, I guess like like you were saying there, Rachel. Is the question is, are they going to do something different with this new with this material, or are they just going to pretty much do the same stories in live action? Uh, I I can't I can't tell. But you know, there are there are stories which might benefit from that, and mm-hmm. stories which I can't imagine how you'd improve. Upon, upon the Disney movies, like Sword in the Stone is so unique. Um, mm-hmm, and it's not, and the thing is, it's not King Arthur. The reason it's good is because it's, it's got almost nothing to do with King Arthur. It's, uh, it's just like a, a bunch of sequences that sort of add up to something. It's, uh, it's a really unique thing. And again, like they're, they're remaking Dumbo. I don't know how you're going to improve mm. upon that. Um, 
So I don't know. So personally, I can take them or leave them. But also, mm-hmm. I recognize Disney know what they're doing, and they're probably not just going for cash grabs, but they are also aware that whatever they will do will make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're trying to make bad movies um, <laughs> at all, because you know no one does that. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, you know, I'm surprised that it's actually lasted as long as it has. And people didn't get bored around Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of it. I, I'll, I will say this. What I liked what they did to a certain extent, I liked what they did with giving her a backstory and stuff and stuff like that. But I think it was um, the only part where I took offense is where at least um, the three fairy characters um, mm. they cut them. That movie kind of painted them as incompetence, like complete and utter incompetence, in a, you yeah. know, completely unable to raise Aurora, and so Maleficent had to do it herself, thus create you know. Act- actually creating a bond between those two characters which i mean it's nice to try and redeem a you know, a character like that cuz you know obviously that you know it's, it's a nice tale of you know a character you know of supposedly evil getting redemption you know kind of like the wicked tale but at the same time it's just like i feel bad because i i know i grew up with you know watching those those three characters the three fairies and i loved them growing up and to kind of you know having to completely wreck those characters in order to make Maleficent seem good, it was kind of sad. Wow, you you have me. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. You have me. I know. Is right? he playing the clock? That would make wow. sense. I think Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. He's playing. He's playing. Um, the Candelabra. What's he called? Oh God! Oh God! I know the name. I know the name. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Lumiere. Lumiere. That was it. <laughs> yep, oh. Oh. Kevin Klein. Damn. Okay. Perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's almost that's almost like uh, Into the Woods kind of. You know what I mean? Like, did you guys see Into the Woods? I loved Into the Woods. I loved this is why it I, so much. This is why I, this is why I don't need all of these movies yeah. <laughs> because Into the Woods like did Cinderella in you know uh-huh. fifteen minutes and it was yeah, perfect. I loved it so much. Yeah, Meryl Streep is. Yeah, no, I I loved Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, again, I heard that that had its edges kind of shaved off a little bit from the Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, original musical, but um, well, you have to when you're adapting something that was originally meant for the stage and trying to turn it into a film. I mean, some some sure. musicals have an easier transition to film than others do, but still. Sure, I mean, what what I think I'm saying with that is, in terms of doing something different. So, if you're going to do Cinderella, for example, do it like you did in Into the Woods and make it a bit grimier. And I don't know, just do something different than what Disney did before. Yeah. I, think. I mean, Into the Woods was still really dark. I mean, well, oh yeah, with all the Sondheim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the, I was surprised yeah, like how Sweeney far Tom. they went with it in the end. Yeah, it was to so be honest, awesome. for a Disney movie. Yeah, I was um, I was pleasantly surprised by that too. It was it was the, fantastic. The one thing that came out of that that I thought was kind of cool was that apparently they're going to be doing a Prince Charming movie with huh. um. I don't know if it's going to be with Chris Pratt. Uh, not Chris Pratt. Um, Chris Pine. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be I with Chris that. Pine, but I could happily watch 90 minutes of him ponting oh, around yeah. doing that character. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's just fantastic. He's perfect for that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. well did we talk about they're doing Mulan which is like gonna be like are they actually gonna cast uh, an Asian American in that that role because if they don't then they've pretty much chat the bed with the rest like you know uh, it's, that's, that's, yeah, that's gonna be weird once they, cause again, like actually with, um, with Genie that they're gonna be doing, like, are they, because Aladdin is not, Aladdin's such a strange movie because they kind of smash together all sorts of cultures mm-hmm. without really thinking about the effect it was gonna have. Yeah. Um, and they only loosely interpreted the story also from what I know of the original Aladdin tale too. Is it really? It is, yeah. <laughs> no, pan- if you go to a good panto, they are fun. Pizza Pan is a good one still, I think. <laughs> but yeah, in, in regards to making a a prequel to Aladdin. I'm especially like you said with the unique entity that they created with that film which eventually became a series and you know went on from there. Like it's how do you like how do you recreate that and you know trying trying not to offend anyone. Do you know what for all of the criticism that it got at the time and still gets, I think one of the most interesting things that Disney can do with their properties is go around Disneyland. And because each Disneyland, um, you know, uh, section 
It doesn't really have a story. So you can do what you want there. I didn't actually get to see Tomorrowland, incidentally. But I quite like the first part of the Caribbean movie. And I think if Disney sort of look there for inspiration to make new movies, then they're in less danger of stepping on lots of toes. And they can do yeah, what they that, want, you mm-hmm. know? Agreed. No, no, I didn't mean that, Chris. No, sorry, mate, I didn't mean that. <laughs> let's no. not go there. Please, <laughs> Disney, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just like a Space Mountain or something. I, I'm not too sure. Are yeah. they not doing that again? <laughs> that would be That would be great. Yeah, that'd be a lot better than what we got. Right, exactly. Oh, God, it still hurts that we didn't get to see his Hobbit. It's, uh, anyway. Oh, then, they are making Night on Bald Mountain. What? Are they not? Uh, I, I'm I heard what? that some. I heard that somewhere. They're making oh. a Chernobyl movie. Huh. Oh, no. Well, I, don't, I mean, if that's hardcore, then I'm happy to let have a go. If you go all go. the way with it, if you go yeah. unabashedly all the way with it, then I have no complaints. I mean, but at the, the same the, time, the not tone this movie down. The sequence in Fantasia is pretty all the way as it is. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I think um, modern so audiences are kind of hardy, and they so could take it. So there would be it. something a movie based on that sequence. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, I mean, it's I just like, saw that. Yeah. You know, I just saw the Fantasia yesterday, last night. Oh, brilliant! On the big screen. <gasps> and, oh, um, I'm jealous. Yeah, there was a, a presentation by John Canemaker um, on the Lost Notebook about uh, basically like the effects they, the kind of things they did. Yeah, I heard um, Don Bluth yeah. talking about that. That they, mm-hmm. you know, that he laments the fact that that was lost and. It was all just word of mouth in the end. Right. Well, The Lost Notebook has is full of uh, photographs about the process, and they talk about how, I mean, like they had drawings that were reflected on tinfoil and mirrors, and then they were used as reference. And Right. And, Actually, uh, I think Canemaker's mm-hmm. blog has a really oh, good bit yeah, all about probably. that. Probably. Yeah, and yeah. there are um, photo- really terrific photographs of the multiplane camera and... Um, it, it it was it was a great presentation. Um, that was before the Fantasia screening, so I just saw that last night. So I mean, I would love to see that sequence expanded for sure if it was done properly. I mean, it would be a dark movie. It would be super dark. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it, the one that's the one thing you have to be careful of. You have to know who you're marketing this movie. Do, do yeah, you know? What, in a, in actual whole... fact, I think I think it would be dark. But if you, um. No, there's a whole redemption sequence, though, afterwards. Precisely. Though. It's yeah. not just the yeah. Night and Bob Mountain. There's a whole, you know, the, the light, the, the, those moments in the song with the, um, the demon or devil, you know, is like, you know, ah, oh, what's that? Yeah, and then the, that leads the light of to the, the Ave Maria session. Right, right, right. So, I mean, there's plenty of room. <laughs> we'll do that when we do the Bill Teitler episode. <laughs> 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 Mm. 
Yes, yes. Um, I I went to two days worth of screenings at MoMA. Um, they were the animation screenings were curated by Ralph Eggleston. So um, the well, in Inside Out, he was a artistic director, right? Um, but creative director at Pixar, and really amazing. Like, I it was fascinating because they showed a lot of. Um, sort of test bed stuff. So you saw early, some early, uh, in one, one of the blocks, it was early Disney animation and you could really see how, um, basically those, um, principles of animation were being created, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, things were being tried and it was incredible. It was incredible too. Um, you could really sort of see like either be- drawings were all beautiful, but, um, you know, and as, as it was, as they were sort of flushing, flushing every, all the characters out, you know, you'd have these like pose to pose type animations where things would kind of float into one or float into the other. And then, um, as, you know, time progressed, you know, more weight was added and body mechanics were introduced a little bit more and the, um, uh, hand drawn visual effects were really perfected. So it was cool, cool to see. And it wasn't just Disney, um, there were screenings uh, of work by uh, UPA, and there was some Looney Tunes stuff and Fleischer uh, uh, stuff. But yeah, it was all. Uh, it was called uh, a splash of Technicolor exploring color and cartoons, and um, really something. I went to uh, six blocks total, and I, I saw Bambi as well on big screen, which is heartbreaking you should go see that <laughs> immediately <laughs> everyone <laughs> um beautiful beautiful movie um uh, and also i saw snow white and the seven dwarfs and oh good times yeah that was great too and again there was kind of you know snow white was one of the earlier movies so i haven't seen that since i was a little kid so um they're really it was like you could the, a lot of the animation was still kind of being worked out with regard to body mechanics, you know. I mean, still the animation is great, but um, yeah, and Grumpy is my favorite, <laughs> my favorite character, <laughs> and the old hag and Grumpy and the, and the Queen are my favorite characters. Snow White kind of got my nerves, to be honest, <laughs> watching it as an adult. But it, anyway, it was a terrific movie. <laughs> yeah, she has such a annoying voice she does it's like baby talk i'm like and then (laughs) and then at the end it's like you know these dwarves build her this coffin of glass and gold and she's just like as soon as she wakes up she's like out of there (laughs) she's like bye bye see you like no less dinner (laughs) i was like gosh yeah (laughs) Well, that was, that was Disney's first attempt as a, at a fairy tale, so they probably just try to keep it as close to a fairy tale as you possibly can get it to the point where, like, you know, once you get to happily after after, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it seemed abrupt to me. <laughs> but, no, it was, um, it was great to see, though, it really was. So, yeah, I'll have, um, <laughs> I'll have lots of posts. I, I mean, there's a lot of content here, <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, no, that's it. I mean, I've really... Oh, I'm going to a, a screening tonight at Animation Block Party. Um, it's Animation Block Party sort of happened at the same time as these MoMA screenings, so 
unfortunately, I missed a lot of that, but I had to go to these. Um, just to see some of the stuff on the big screen again was really super cool. But tonight there's an international block that I definitely am going to catch. So right after, after this, yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think it, I think uh, that film serves that purpose for lots of people. Mm-hmm. I I certainly watched it like a few years ago when I moved away from home, and uh, it, yeah, it's like a comfort blanket movie. <laughs> Agreed. I, I think that's that's one of the best introductions to a Miyazaki film. You know, it's like because it, 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 I think mainly because it embraces like such a simple. It's a simple story, but you get to learn so you know a lot about the, you know the main character and her struggles. And while it is while it is simple, you are still pulled into it. Yeah, you know, I think it was actually the first Miyazaki movie I saw. So it actually probably was my introduction. <laughs> I think that movie is actually pretty funny. <laughs> I like it. They were the they were the true main characters the entire time.
I agree. I think, actually, the more those movies get towards just not trying to do anything apart from just be fun and a bit silly, the better they get. Um, and the animators have a lot of fun, like, pushing, you know, the physical humour. Um, no, I, I think those movies are pretty good, actually. Was that the octopus thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of actor, uh, I think there's a lot of actor puns, I think. Nicholas Cage him! <laughs> that is fantastic. Is that, is that the new season that came out recently? Right, okay. Brilliant. I think, I'll be honest with you, Chris, I think that's exactly the place for comedy to, mm-hmm. so people can work through really weird things like that because it, totally. and the Bill Cosby situation has really, you know, had a weird effect on America and, and you'll see like, People making jokes about it on late night um, talk shows, you hear the audience react and they still kind of wince. Like they are not too <laughs> sure whether it's okay. Like, you know, they have a really hard time separating, you know, this fuzzy character who right. wore, who wore like bright jumpers mm-hmm. um, and, you know, was essentially like a, a father figure in the sitcom for years and years and years to turn out to be you know, a, a, a sex criminal and a rapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, personally, as lo- so, as long as, you know, the comedy is placed where it should be. Um, as long as it's funny. As long as it's fu- <laughs> well, as long as it's funny in service of, you know, um, making jokes out of how we deal with it or making mm-hmm. jokes out of, you know, essentially not making any, uh, not making light at all of the victims. I think then that's appropriate. Yeah. Right. That then that's where the focus should be. Do you know what that's that's what South Park does a lot of the time. A lot of the time when South Park has an issue, they will examine 
people's reactions to it rather than the issue itself. Because that's where the humor lies, because that's, you know, people they're considering how many different ways people can react to a situation, you know, something, an event like that. They can either, you know, just kind of be subdued or they can be completely over the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Yeah, I need to catch up on yeah. that as well. Yeah. A little bit that I watched, I, 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 yeah, I mentioned this before, but I, I loved it, just even the intro. So I, I'm super excited to watch that because um, I really just just started, <laughs> like, according to what you guys had said before, like, it hasn't even really kicked in and gotten really good yet. So I'm, I'm amped for that one. <laughs> That's like nice. Ardman levels of pottery. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Puns, <laughs> glorious puns. <laughs> they do not oh my god this episode is amazing yeah Oh, that is such a shout out to the Brody fandom. Oh my god. It's it's a really good episode. <laughs> Do you know what I have I have some friends who are um who watch the cartoon. The pony <laughs> cartoon. I don't you want... <laughs> I don't know if they call I don't know if they would go so so far as to self identify as bronies, but they watch it, and I watched a Bob's Burgers episode with them. They found it hilarious, and they didn't see anything too offensive. But I mean, come on! I mean, I don't think we need to worry too much about offending <laughs> bronies, do we? No, I mean, there is quite a lot of them out there, including yeah. some in the military. But you know, but they... I, <laughs> the uh, the the Bob's Burgers episode, I think, in classic like Bob's Burgers style. In the end, it actually ends up being quite sweet, I think. <laughs> you know, and it's not about, you know, being nasty to anyone. It's, uh, it's just an excuse to bring the characters together. All in good fun. All in good fun. Oh, I've heard of that, but I haven't had a chance to see. I know they did a Steven Universe crossover episode with that show once. Nice. What? 
Oh yeah, it's my it's my favorite of the big three um, Shonen Jump titles, and and mm-hmm. I actually I actually discovered it after like reading Naruto and Bleach for a few years, and then I got into One Piece, and it was like, oh what, this is just fun, and mm-hmm. and that's it, and that's you know, basically One Piece's major appeal. It's like no matter yeah, what happens in it, so it, just, it always comes back to the fun, and yeah. even if it is a, even if you go through a filler arc. You don't care because you're, oh, you know, you're still hanging out with these characters and they're how, ha- you know, everyone's having a zany time and, you know, even if it's not part of the main plot, you know, it's like, you almost really, really don't care that it's like, oh, we're just having a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which um may I ask which which uh arc or story arc are they uh what is were those uh box sets going through if I uh, oh yes yeah that one <laughs> oh yes. Yep. Let's see. Uh, it kind of, I haven't really had too much time to watch a whole lot of stuff, but in the, you know, kind of coming off the whole, you know, shonen anime, uh, discussion, um, I have been trying to catch up on, uh, the latest episodes of another shonen, uh, series called Fairy Tale. Which is, um, was made by the same, uh, same, uh, writer who wrote, uh, I don't know, what was the, what was the name of the show? Ah, uh, I like, Rave Master, that was it. And, um, it's kind of, it's kind of in the same vein as, uh, One Piece, uh, the fact that, you know, even though you're going, you know, you have some filler episodes and then you have, you get back to the main plot of the actual manga, but you're just kind of having a fun time, a fun romp with these characters. And, you know, to the point where you, you don't care it's filler anymore. You're just enjoying it for what it is. And, uh, but I think the most recent episodes have actually been trying to get back to, uh, one of the main arcs of the manga. And actually, of the later stuff, it's probably one of my personal favorites. So I'm very excited about how, how they'll translate, you know, what was done in the manga to, you know, a- actual animation. It is, but it isn't at the same time. I mean, if you've seen Rave Master, then you're you're definitely 
only going to see, you know, get the same kind of feel as you have with that series. I mean, um, what was the one sidekick character? Um, Plu, little, little, uh, little guy with the, like, kind of like the drill for a nose that just says the same thing over and over again. He actually in he fairy tale as well. It's kind of like a running gag thing. But, um, but yeah, like in terms of the overall feel and tone, it definitely is very similar to One Piece. And that's kind of what I like about it. But the characters are just overall very, very fun. Yeah, let me know what you think. Rick and Morty was back. (laughs) Yeah! It's, okay, so Rick and Morty is easily my favourite cartoon at the moment, bar none. It's Mm. really funny, it's really smart, it's, it's, okay, so, basically, it's like Doctor Who, in that there is this, uh... Okay. The, nice. Okay, in the setup, in that there is this, this character, who is an, well, actually, you know, the odd thing, Chris, is that it began as a really weird internet short, which you should not watch if you love these characters, because it ends up in, like, incest, and it's not... It's not really that funny. Um, that was actually, yeah, a, a, you know, meant to be a parody on um, uh, Doc and Marty from Back to the Future. Hmm. Is it Marty McFly? Yeah, McFly um, from Back to the Future. Um, but since they've kind of evolved into their own thing, and yeah, kind of like you know, like Doc from Back to the Future or Doctor Who, um, it's just sort of like this this mad scientist grandpa character who, you know, is very world-weary. Re- world um, he's, like, blatantly alcoholic, and he goes on adventures with his grandson, who lives in sort of uh, suburban America, and he kind of takes his grandson on these adventures so that he can, you know, um, so he can sort of show him the world a bit more than he is likely to, than he's likely to see. Um, and it, you know, it's a, it's on Adult Swim, so it, it kind of pushes things a little bit in terms of, you know, what they can say and situations they can be in. But the animation is actually fantastic. Um, it's really smartly directed. Um, the animation in itself is funny. The first gag in the whole series is a pratfall. So, <laughs> you know, and, and so they don't forget, you know, um, the power of animation in itself to make you laugh. Um, but it's like a monster of the week sort of episode or, or situation of the week where they'll just go on any kind of sci-fi adventure. And it starts off being something which, um, is just kind of gag based and, and just funny. And halfway through the first season, it did something. There was an episode where something happened which forced Rick and Morty to really examine their mortality. Mm. And it suddenly took this turn into being, you know, quite profound, which is, which seems like a strange thing to say, but, um, it never stopped being fun. And it, the, the turn didn't seem out of character for the show. Um, but since then it's sort of, it's, it's it's had like this extra layer over it kind of like if you know doctor who he has this sort of um 
this eternal sadness in him mm-hmm. about his world weariness and the fact that he can go wherever he wants in space and time, but he's always kind of, he feels apart from the world a little bit. Um, so anyway, it's written by Dan. It was, it was, it was created by Dan Harmon, uh, who created, um, community. Oh, and oh, that's fantastic. So a lot of his sensibilities are there in the writing with, you know, with regard to, you know, things being quite meta. There's a whole episode just about TV. Um, but anyway, the, this, it came back, um, last Sunday for its second season. Um, and it's an amazing episode. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's done something which I'm not sure has ever been done on TV before, which is, you know, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you guys watch it, I mean, you should watch it. <laughs> and then we should <laughs> I, I, like, I, I really want to check it out now after you, we, talk should, about we it. should, we should do an totally. episode about it or something. Cause it's, it's easily the funniest cartoon on TV at the moment. And wow. it's, it's certainly wow. my favorite. Wow. In actual fact, Chris, I wondered this and after torrenting it for a year, um, I found out that it was available to watch free on adultswim.co.uk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. The adult programming. Yeah. <laughs> the the two hour documentaries about going through a canal on a riverboat. You gotta check that one out, Chris. <laughs> it's so good. I'm not lying by the way. <laughs> it's great. Oh, that's excellent. Um but yeah, it's kind of, you know, I think my attitude to those things is if you're going to make it easy for me to watch, then I will watch it legally. But if you, you know, what are we meant to do? What are you meant to do when you can't watch something and you can just, in a few clicks, like, have it? I'm not sure if the new season is yet, but yeah, yeah, you can. She's such a beautiful little princess. That kid's weird. She grows fast. Have you gotten bigger again? I'm going to build the princess a fine mansion. You're going to go somewhere different and leave us behind. (laughs) 
you must prepare yourself quickly to be married to the prince. I have no intention of marrying anyone yet. If disobedience to his majesty is punishable by death, the only choice is to kill me. Please don't take me away. Sure. Well, I felt a lot of things about the film. It was, it was really touching because, you know, before we even get into the story, it was, you know, it's touching for me because, um, Studio Ghibli in general means a lot to me and Takahata has a lot to do with it. Um, and, and, you know, in that he was one of the co-founders. Um, so, you know, he's not the most, pr- I, I think I said this in my review, but he's not the most prolific film director. He, you know, he's kind of, he's nicknamed a sloth or something around the studio because he takes so long to make his movies. Um, but he's a very sort of, he's a studious man. He studied um, French literature at university and he, whenever he goes to start researching for films, he will go back to literature or go and, you know, study cultures for, you know, months on end. So he's a very sort of, um, studious person. And I think that comes across in his films in that they tend to be a little bit more objective or objectivist than Miyazaki's films. Um, but anyway, I, he's, he's, he's one of my, uh, you know, favorite filmmakers, live action or animation. Um, people probably know him best from, uh, 1988's Grave of the Fireflies, which gets that kind of reaction from anyone, <laughs> uh, when you mention it. Uh, I've actually not been able to rewatch the film since I first saw it because it was so good. I have, I unfortunately haven't seen it, period, so I need to find, need to find time to watch it. Yeah, it's hard to find the time to watch it because it's essentially gonna ruin your day. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, you're gonna have to, you know, don't make plans for what you're going to do afterwards because you just need to sit there and think. And just kind of absorb it. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. So getting back to Princess Kaguya, um, reportedly it took seven years for him to develop. Um, so that gives you an idea of just mm. how long um, he takes to make to make movies. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, and it's also a long movie as well. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, I think, and again, I think I said this in my review, that's kind of good behavior for a guy who once made a four-hour documentary about canals. Incidentally. (laughs) So it was not, but hey, they could pick it up (laughs) based on uh, on their recent success with that kind of thing. Um, So, you know, just like give a little bit more of a background into who he is. He is essentially Miyazaki's um, senpai, you know, his, his senior, um, when, 
when they came together at, um, at Toei Doga in the 60s, uh, Takahata was, um, you know, Miyazaki's senior. So Miyazaki was an animator and Takahata was the director. And they first worked together, I believe, on um, Prince of the Sun, Horace, Prince of the Sun, um, which in anime history is a really important movie. Because yeah, essentially, I think I hearing about it. yeah, because essentially, anime as we know it today is what it is because of this movie. Um, before this time, the Japanese studios were trying to emulate Disney, essentially, um, and do that with uh, Chinese folktales or Japanese folktales. Um, and Takahata was not interested in that at all. He wanted to create. Um, Japanese animation cinema that was its own thing and had its own identity. So, you know, the film uh, uh, Prince of the Sun is actually, uh, it has like a strangely sort of socialist message and it's influenced by, not so much by Disney, but it's it's influenced by like the French New Wave and um, it, it's a really unique you know, uh, thing in itself. So that gives you an idea of the sort of filmmaker that Takahata is. And to be honest, I don't really think he's, he's, um, he's drifted too far from that mindset, um, mm-hmm. throughout the years. So, sorry, sorry, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, one that title is really misleading because it's not, despite the fact that it's kind of um, in a in a European sort of setting. It's not that. It's not that story. But yeah, I understand. It's it's kind of hard to find. Um, but it's it is available in in America via Discotech. They recently you know, did a great DVD re-release, and. Um, I'm not sure if it's on Blu-ray, but it's definitely on DVD in um, in the UK. No, but I mean, I, I, I definitely recommend um, you check it out because in it is a lot of things that are familiar to Studio Ghibli fans. Um there is a, you know, there are very strong female characters. There are villains which aren't quite clear if they're villains or not. Um, and I think that's important because it makes you realize that Takahata had a big influence on Miyazaki um, as a filmmaker, I think. Even though they've since probably parted ways a bit, um, you know, uh, it's significant. So, sorry to ramble on, but I think it's kind of, it's kind of important to have a little bit of an understanding of where he comes from because for me, Princess Kaguya is a real homecoming and a real, there's a continuity there from the sort of filmmaker he was in the sixties to the filmmaker he is now, um, make, making this movie. Um, and he's not really, he doesn't often actually make fantasy movies. He's kind of toyed with, fantasy a little bit here and there 
Um, but I think his strength as a filmmaker is actually in, you know, not so much slice of life, but trying to depict life as it's lived. And even though it's a, it's a fairy tale, um, I think there's a lot of that in Princess Kaguya. Yeah, there is. I mean, that's one of the things that struck me the most about when I saw the film for the first time is that, you know, and, I, and I'm familiar with the um, the tale of the bamboo cutter, which this, the story is based on, and the way they uh, chose to focus the story, at least as far as Princess, you know, Kaguya's character was concerned, and how, you know, you see her with a simple life, and then you see her as a princess, and, you know, you definitely see that there's a lot more attention to detail to that to the, to the simple life that she lives and how much she loves it or she comes to love it. And then so when she's thrown into a different environment and how much, how, you know, you can definitely see that, you know, her unhappiness compared to when uh, she was was living that simpler life. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just thinking about the film, I can't, you know, it's hard to, um, because essentially I think it's a tragedy. And we don't get many of those in animation. A lot of the time, a film is made for a commercial purpose. And in actual fact, this film is, is, is kind of unique in that he was given free reign. The, um, I think the president of the company that owns, or, you know, um, that owns Studio Ghibli or, um, you know, the, the guy who essentially greenlit the movie said to Takata, I want a movie that I can take with me into the next world. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, this is the sort of film it is. It's not for anyone. And incidentally, it didn't actually seem to click that well in Japan. It had a horrendously Hmm. huge budget, but it did not do well at the box office compared to The Wind Rises. It was, yeah, it came out in the same year in Japan. And the plan was to have them both released at the same time because that was what they did with My Neighbor Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies back in 1988. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the plan originally was for The Wind Rises and for Princess Kaguya to be on the same bill, which would have been incredible. But being the sloth that he is, Takahata didn't actually get Princess Kaguya finished in time for summer. So mm-hmm. it was released in the autumn. Um, yeah, it would be a, yeah, it's a double punch, isn't it? Double tragedy. It would have been a bit intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, like maybe we should, I, I'm not sure, you know, it's, um, it's a new release on DVD in the UK. So I'm not sure if everyone listening has seen it. So maybe we could really, really quickly just talk about what the story is. It's based on a folktale. Um, the Tale uh, of the Bamboo Cutter. Yeah, which is um, apparently the oldest story in Japanese folklore. It's one one of the oldest, I believe. Yes, I see. It's definitely one of the most uh, one of the most famous. Def- uh, not just throughout Japan, but there are a lot. Of lots, it's very well known. Yeah, and it has a motif which is actually in lots of fairy tales across the world, which is an elderly couple um, come to inherit a tiny, like, you know, fit in the fit in the palm of your hand size baby. Um, and the way that the old couple come to inherit this baby in this version of the story 
uh, the, the bamboo cutter is a bamboo cutter is cutting bamboo. And one day in one of the shoots, there is a, a tiny, a tiny mm-hmm. baby. Um, and then what happens is they come to, they, you know, they start raising this child and it has, and she has growth spurts. And in the original folktale, this happened once or twice and it wasn't really explained. And Takahata expands upon it, um, a lot more and, in, and, and does what he does throughout the rest of the movie, I think, which is, so folktales have sort of archetypes. They're not really dealing with characters as we would traditionally refer to them. Um, Philip Pullman said, uh, in the introduction to his book, Grimm's Fairy Tales, in which he sort of adapts Grimm's Fairy Tales for, um, for himself, I guess, um, and reinterprets them, that folktales have this problem in that these archetypes as characters, they don't really have psychologies. They don't really think like characters would in normal stories. So you have a problem there with how to make them feel like real people, like characters. And I think that's what Takahata does in expanding the folktale. He really gives each character, no matter how incidental they are to the story, uh, a lot of life. Mm-hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree. That's one of the things that really kind of uh, mesmerized me about this film. And like I said, I was I was familiar with the tale, and you know I've seen multiple different like interpretations or uh, nods to the tale, like in various uh, like anime or movies or anything like and, and stuff like that. So, but then I you know I sat down and saw this film, and despite you know its length, I have to say it's probably one of the best. If you're if you're looking for like a visual representation for this tale that, like you said, expands on what was already done with the story to kind of, you know, kind of give it life, a new a new life, then this is definitely the movie to see because it was amazing. Well, it's sort of, it's kind of the same sort of stuff that we touched on when we were talking about Song of the Sea, you know, sort of natural, um, that beautiful natural acting and animation, you know, that, that gives things well life, right? <laughs> I mean, all of those scenes where you, the little baby rolling around, oh my God, you know? Yeah. Exquisite. <laughs> I was watching that with my mom and she's all like, those, oh my yeah, God. All those little, the little kids at play, I mean, all of those moments, you know, when the uh, bamboo, oh, when she, Jesus, when the bamboo cutter first sees the little princess um, in her almost spirit form, right? When she's just this miniature little doll-like thing before she turns then into the baby and then something that um, they'll, a child they'll raise. He does this thing where he wipes his hands off right before he touches her. He wipes his hands on his on his uh, clothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Beautiful moment, you know, and then it sort of just starts the mm. little ball rolling with that kind of natural um not even uh, you can say subtle acting, but just natural performance that um It's it's you know, stunning. Gorgeous. I I yeah. there are so many moments like that in this where mm-hmm. I just can't um it they just feel real. Yes. You know, um the uh so the movie was actually as it was being developed, um so Taka the weird thing about Takahata is that he is an animation director who doesn't draw. Uh-huh. So he just in, you know, in the, um, I guess in the live action sense as a director would, he just has to work really, really hard to coordinate his team and explain yeah. things clearly 
to get what he wants. So, but as such, he also gives his artists a lot of um, freedom and uh, and responsibilities and license. And Osamu Tanabe is the guy who's basically responsible for the look of the animation, the characters. Sure. Yeah, like yeah, animation style every time. He's he's really you know he's he's um he's unafraid to try and reinvent himself. Well, yeah. And what about that uh, very emotional scene when um when she runs away, or it, I guess it's more of a dream sequence when she runs back home. It, I mean, it's in a totally different style. It's just raw emotion. I cried so much in this film the first time I saw it. <laughs> yeah, and and that was I think that was. That might have been like the second time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was devastating. It was just devastating because, and, and I mentioned this in my review, and I'll get into it a little bit more here. Essentially, there are movies which do that a lot, which have really charismatic animation um, that is out of the style of the movie that appears for a few scenes mm-hmm. and essentially just serves the purpose of kind of looking cool or being exciting. But I was shocked when I saw it in Kaguya because it was perfectly aligned with the story mm-hmm. and where the character was at that moment. And there was nothing about it which felt like a gimmick. No. It was absolutely, you know, the scenes building up to that moment were essentially right. just her bubbling despair. Right. And, you know, being trapped. So it makes perfect sense emotionally right. for it to be this outburst that yeah. was, you yeah. know, audacious and uh, stylistically. Everyone can relate to it. And, in, and it was done, it was that kind of change in style was utilized to, at the most powerful point. You know, and you had touched on this, but the, it's the same thing that happens in Bambi. You'd mentioned the correlation between the two movies. Like, um, I mean, we talked about this at length yesterday. Uh, that, you know, Bambi does the same thing, changes styles in a very dramatic fashion, changes color schemes. Um, for these emotional moments in the story, and that that movie like kicks you in the heart just as hard, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I I think actually weirdly enough, I think Takahata is slightly more conventional than Miyazaki in his sensibilities, and people are able to understand his films in a different way. It seems like Miyazaki is almost proud of how obtuse he's being sometimes. <laughs> with what he's trying to say through, you know, quite ethereal representations of things. But Takahata is very clear. And I, yeah. I feel you come away from Kaguya kind of understanding everything in a way that you and, wouldn't from a Miyazaki movie. And it's also stretch. I mean, I love that portion of the story where you... I mean, at a certain point, you don't even, like, you're not even sure what's going to happen. And then it's almost like the knife is twisted again. Because um, it's uh, when one of the suitors, was it the last suitor, uh, he 
um, brings her the flower that he finds by the side of the road. And oh, he, yes. Is the one who was a, supposed to. He's a playboy. Yeah, he's kind of a playboy. And, and um, But the whole time you're sort of with there and you're thinking, is she going to choose him? Like, you know, not knowing the story, not really knowing what was going to happen. Um, no, I didn't know the I story before going Right in. there, yeah, with her. And she's crying and you're thinking, like, oh, is this where, is this what's going to, and then, you know, the then the knife is turned. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's horrible. It is. It that is was an a... interesting twist that they took from the original mm-hmm. tale. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I mean, one of the things that they're from, because uh, at least from the versions of the story that I read, that like you said, they don't really elaborate on a lot of these things. But at least a majority that they do show in the film, a majority of the suitors who come back with um, the prizes that that she sent them to try and find in order to you know win her hand in marriage, a majority of them obviously try to you know, fake their gifts in order to try and uh, win her hand. But, you know, obviously, you know, she was able to thwart them. It's like, no, that's not real. Or you're like, okay, throw it. You know, if that's real, fire at fur, throw it in the fire. And, um, yeah, I think a majority of them, a majority of them were pretty much just straightforward. So I like how that with that one, they kind of threw in that mm-hmm. twist in the movie. Like, it's like, oh, you know, he, he appreciates, he appreciates the simple stuff too. You know, he, he sounds like a better student, but then guess what? It's not real either. Yeah. <laughs> but they did it in so much a heart wrenching way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. That, was that funny. also happened. That actually happened. That was so funny. The story too. I loved that. Oh. I loved how abrupt that was in the, in the movie. More and more recently, I, I see this, um, connection between animation and magic mm-hmm. as in you know stage magicians or, or street magicians and um, um for me actually in the structuring of the story princess kaguya is a magic trick in this okay in the in the in the old time sense and also this sensibility was also um i think sort of a vaudeville music hall sensibility where funny. what would happen is the act would appear on stage. They would tell you what they were about to do. And I think actually also, incidentally, Yvonne, um, Ed Hooks mm-hmm. mentions this being a part of acting. <laughs> you appear on stage. You announce to the audience what is going to happen. You perform it. And then you tell them that it has happened. <laughs> and in Princess Kaguya, going full into spoiler territory here, at the start of the movie, about 15 minutes in, um, Little Bamboo, as she's called, uh, finds herself singing this song that she doesn't know where it's from. She doesn't understand what she's saying. It's in this sort of dialect which is not natural to her. And she kind of plainly says that she feels very sad. And she mentions about going back to the moon. Mm-hmm. So really, when you're watching the movie, it's telling you what's going to happen. <laughs> That's but true. you spend the whole time going, no, <laughs> surely <Right>. not. <laughs> because we've been conditioned to do that. And then <laughs> by the end of the movie, it goes, yep, see, told you. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta have a happy ending, right? 
And that song, that song was like in a different key or something too, right? It was so neat how it, I mean, it definitely. The, like she, the, the song of the, um, oh God. She, she goes the, into her alternate song, right? Because there's another song that they all sing and then. And she, it's a nursery rhyme. Right. But when she sings her version, it's like in a whole different, it's almost like in a different key. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. It's really, I love that. I love that. Yeah, you know, you know what's so funny too is, um, I watched, um, Blu-ray and, um, I was just so happy that I could turn off the English dubbing. <laughs> like, I know. Like, yeah, I was not. James, like James Kahn is the voice of the bamboo cutter and, I mean, he's nice and all, but, <laughs> but I was just like, uh-uh, come on. I was like, yes. It was nice that's, to just. That's... <laughs> It was nice to watch watch those English subtitles, and I mean, it was <laughs> it was fantastic. I I'm so glad to have that option. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of kind of hit, hit and miss with me too. Mm. I. Mm. But it's it's not even about yeah sorry. <laughs> yes. But it, yeah, I mean it's not even that though. It's the script. Like there are certain there are specific words that were thrown in, and I know that you know there. Are I'm sure I'm, I know it was all obviously on purpose, right? And you know, they're supposed to convey a similar feeling or something. And I'm sorry, it just does not work. What, like, what sort of things were they? Because um, okay, I watched about instance, five like, minutes of the dub, and then I yeah, me too. And I realized like, it no. wasn't for me. Well, I did. First of all, I didn't like either of the main characters, the um, bamboo cutter or his wife, when they yeah. first get the child, and it's because the tone of it is totally different. Like the yeah. Um, the mother becomes this like like don't you know that she wants me to take care of her? It's like more that kind of right, tone, you know. Right. And then even in the very beginning, just the first couple lines, um, the bamboo cutter is like, um, or, or who are you, my lady? Or he's like throws in some like my lady. I'm like, what the hell is that? Does he know her? Like, yeah, well, it, you know, it just makes like, more sense little... in Japanese. It's tricky. I think if you're old enough, well, it makes more sense. You should with watch this, it yeah. with the subtitles because. The subtitles don't say that though, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, that's my yeah. point. Like the subtitles are not, are not, do, 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 do not match the dub. Like, so I don't know. Like yeah. there's someone in between, like sort of going, Oh, this is what they mean by this. And someone's trying to interpret the Japanese. Yeah. The way, the way I feel about it is also culturally, I can't watch a film that is unmistakably Japanese with James Khan's voice. <laughs> because, right. because you know, I, can, I and, and incidentally, I love the dub for *How's Moving Castle*, and um, I think actually that might be the only Ghibli dub I like. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so it's it's strange though because um, my neighbors, the Yamadas. Uh, which is Takahata's film previous to this. Uh, I have a similar thing with where 
I really, really wish the dub was better because I want to get lost in the images and mm-hmm. I don't want to have my eyes <laughs> floating around the bottom half of the screen most of the movie. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, for that reason, I'm not saying always, always subs, but in this particular case, it just takes me out of the movie more yeah. to yeah, hear American voices. I found it You'll get the whole experience. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I yeah, I found it distracting, but but seriously, like even with those extra few words, I just I felt like the tone was completely different. And the thing is, like you know, you use different parts of your brain for um you know imagery than you do for reading. So it's it's interesting thing, but um yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's in, that's a very interesting subject, all in all. <laughs> yeah. So so going going back to like what you were saying about Bambi, Yvonne, mm-hmm. I, I I when I first saw the movie. I felt very strongly that it reminded me of old Disney movies in its simplicity, in the fact that it was telling the story, which was for all intents and purposes, quite simple. And there was a lot of uh, substance in the characters and in the world building. Um, But it was kind of deceptively simple, like Dumbo or like Bambi. Yeah. Um, and, And there's an awful lot in the movie, which which kind of implies so much um, in a sort of, um, you know, in the way of movies like in the, in the, in the 60s have to be a bit better at euphem- uh, um, a euphemism. And there's a lot in this movie, which for me is kind of euphemism for themes, which are, you know, not usually uh, in children's movies. Oh, like, I mean, like death, death well, and loss and rebirth. <laughs> death, loss, yeah. rebirth, um, gender roles, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. really intense things as well. Like, so in the movie, it's rated U, which is like, uh, which is like G. Yeah. Oh. Which I found kind of interesting because it seems actually the only reason I could think for that is America is a little bit more prudish. Sorry, guys, about no, news. I, about news. No, it's true. I take no offense. Because of the boobs. Yeah, because of the... Because... <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. But watching the movie in, in, the, uh, in the cinema, the scene where Sutomaru, the, um, the kid from the Bamboo Cutters Village... Yeah. Um, when, there's a scene where they're, where they're in the town, and Kaguya is in the back of, uh, like, a cart... Um, a carriage, and Sutomaru is seen stealing chickens. Oh, and he's, yes. And he's beaten up. Yeah. And it's so yeah. intense and nasty. And you really feel every punch. Oh, and it's so true. I think he's dead. Yeah. I, I know. Like, they killed him. <laughs> it's, it's so intense. And, and it's all done, though, through suggestion, her reaction <laughs> shots, the fact that it's raining, the sound design. It's, it's all, crazy. you know, it's all really implied mm-hmm. um so you know there there are lots of th- things in the movie um that i think are like that in that they're sort of implying something um you know there, character, there's character yeah character driven yeah and there's lots mm-hmm. of oh it's unbelievably character driven 
Mm-hmm. Um, That's the difference. I mean, and Bambi has that too. Yeah. It's all character driven. I mean, even from the beginning when there's no um, talking at first and the animals just sort of seem like creatures, you like, you, it's just like one character after another, like, mm. like tugging on your heart. <laughs> and it, but, but it, it's, it's mm-hmm. character driven in a really yeah. honest way. Yes. You know, the, the father figure, you know, the, the bamboo cutter. Mm-hmm. He's not the most likable guy. You know, he has his flaws and he is essentially quite selfish mm-hmm. and driven by, by greed and by delusions of, of grandeur. And, right. um, it's like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's like that's him. Absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah. Like you, yeah. But, but what I love is that he never stops being entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll, he'll run. And he'll be in his, in his, um, in his court clothes and he'll be running and his stupid little hat will fall off yeah. and it will just undermine him, you know, entirely. And the uh, way he runs too. I mean, the, the way they make him run is hilarious. I mean, the character yeah, so animation. The swishing of his uh, hakama. Yeah, he's yeah. just off. His running is, yeah, it doesn't quite fit. He doesn't quite fit in the world. <laughs> the character animation in this movie is yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's top notch. I mean, I mean, what about the pause? <laughs> what about the pause of the um, bamboo cutter's wife when she like realizes she has milk? <laughs> oh yeah, that was, oh, yeah. That was like, an interesting touch. <laughs> it's like, oh wait, that hasn't worked in a while. She's like, oh, all right. <laughs> and I'm just like, that just happened in an animation. That was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 the um. Actually, a, a few scenes later, there's a, there's a part where um, she's had a little another growth spurt, and the kids are screaming "little bamboo," and the bamboo cutter is screaming "princess, princess, come this way," and he's almost crying. Yeah, but it's, but, but it's a game. Yeah, and then he runs up to her, and he's sort of like he he turns instantly from from like going ah! to laughing with her, mm-hmm. and then he picks her up and. It's just, you know, I've never seen, it's wonderfully observed. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like that in animation where it just feels like a moment from my life. It reminds me of people I've known and the right. way that they'll react and the way well, that they behave yeah. when they play with children. Mm-hmm. And it's got that kind of honest, uh, complexity in the same way, again, that <laughs> I mean, like Song of the Sea, we're touching on that. But yeah, the, I mean, that kind of thing where it's just, it's honest. And, mm-hmm. um, and all of it is very of, honest. Yeah, the complications of, of just being a human being sort of shine through. Is, yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. Okay, That's how okay. much, how much longer? Um, I, I have to, I have until 5.15 before I have to get going because I have to, okay. I have to go meet my father. Okay. Oh. Well, like, because like I said, I've, um, it was, it was really interesting since I wasn't, uh, familiar with the tale of the bamboo cutter and, you know, looking at the differences between what this film did and, uh, you know, what, what they did differently from the story. Like, um, you were, guys were talking about, uh, uh, Sutemaro, I think it was his name. Yeah. The boy. He is completely absent from the tale. He was, um, he was, he must have been added in for this movie because I don't think I've, I've seen any interpretation of the work where he, where he was a character. So, I like it how 
in order to make this film its kind of unique entity apart from the uh, the story, they kind of, you know, and, and kind of further cement, you know, the difference between, you know, the life that Kaguya had versus the life that she later gets and, you know, comes to not really enjoy uh, to kind of have him in there as kind of to rep- kind of represent, you know, the potential she had in that life should had she stayed and kind of for- further cement the tragedy. Mm-hmm. But, there was uh, something for me in, in that storyline which is really like curiously old fashioned um you know like this idea that an affair that was had when you were younger is mm-hmm. more important than anything else that happened in your <laughs> life and, and I know. there's a real yeah. kind of uh purity to that idea I, I can't explain it it kind of reminded me weirdly enough of um of things like brief encounter mm. you know a movie where being with the one you're not supposed to be with is is really played with as a very um, almost like an animal sort of emotion. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, this movie is too it's just packed with, yeah. with little things like that. Yeah, know? I know. What about his poor wife? I felt so bad for her. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> exactly. I know. Like you started uh, a whole life already. <laughs> So heartbreaking. Well, it's real, though, you know. It, it yeah, is. It That's <laughs> what I... There's there's a big sense in the movie, and this is kind of what I mean about, like, Takahata's objectivism, where you have the sense that these were just a certain group of people in a certain place in the world at a certain mm-hmm. time. And he's he's really interested in sort of trying to observe humanity as a whole, there are moments throughout which kind of add to this where you've got, you know, scenes of people making bowls or mm. the guy who tends to the charcoal fire, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these little things in there like seem incidental, but they sort of really add to the world feeling like somewhere that's lived in, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, a it's really of, inhabited. Uh, the, it's a vision of what the, at least uh, Japan was at the time when like the time yeah. when the tale is set. Oh Yeah. And At least for me. It's also really Takahata. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in his work all the way through. You know, you have that in um, in Horace, Prince of the Sun. You know, the, there's a village and people are making things and he depicts this quite meticulously. And in Only Yesterday as well, you know, um, a lot of time is spent with these people on farms and depicting them picking these... Um, these plants, which they turn into rouge. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So he's really, I don't know, he's, 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 you know, and he definitely does that on purpose. He's spoken about why he does that. And for him, it's about recreating reality in animation. And if you depict small moments like that, it really makes the world feel mm-hmm. like the real world. But then yeah. even the, even the, the, these, Creatures or these other beings, right? These sentient creatures who are supposed to—they seem more powerful, right? They—I mean, isn't it so strange that like her whole time she's here, she basically—it's like an opportunity lost. So there's this sense of loss for her, and then in the end, these groups, this, this, these, this, these other beings, when they come down, 
Mm. It's like the the arrows turn to flowers, right? They obviously have this power that they seem like peaceful, or but they're really just kind of all like brainwashed in a they're, way. They're they're peaceful, <laughs> but they're devoid of emotion. Exactly. They they they. Yeah. There's no. The thing is like. It's serenity. It's enlightenment. It's, I mean, if it's, you look it's at the enlightenment in, in but the, it's not in how the, it comes across. The, yeah, it's amazing. It's just so the contrast was so powerful. Again, yeah, and and again, and that's done on purpose. And yeah. for me, that's why I come away from the movie saying, okay, so this sort of like Buddhist idea of purity, Takahata is kind of saying with it, there's no pain, there's no suffering, but then there's no emotion and there's no mm. joy. But, no, but then yeah. is it really life? Like, exactly. what, what is the exactly. true jo- joy exactly. of life? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that that weird ribbon sort of head garb thing that sort of floats over them that is that seems to be the visual determination of whether or not they're, <laughs> they're like, part of the group again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, until the very end when you wonder if she realizes or maybe she doesn't. <laughs> and, and you know what? That, for me, is why... You know, as much as the film ends on what you would think is a bum note, the film is kind of saying something beautiful. It's saying that a life, you know, um, with all its imperfection, with its despair, there's a lot of passion Mm -hmm. and desire, like an earthly desire is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a reason to live. Exactly. And he's encouraging people to have affairs. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what the, the, the movie is. That's the message of the movie. <laughs> well, I think it's also, you know, it's also, um, you know, non-traditional in that it's it's against, um, I mean, clearly against arranged marriage. Yeah. But not just arranged marriage, but this sort of like, it's so funny. It, it has a really funny depiction of like male entitlement. <laughs> well, the story um, kind of had it, uh, kind of had that already. I mean, right. the, um, the whole thing with the that one of the main uh, points of the story, at least, well, besides you know finding out that uh, you know Kaguya came from a bamboo shoot, she was raised by the bamboo cutter, and then she became a princess because she was you know she became so sought after because she was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think that one of the major points of the story is the fact that you know she had all these suitors coming off. And, uh, yeah. and then she gave them this impossible task in order to find all these, like, these treasures. And then, yeah. you know, whoever was successful to, would be the one she married. And they all, and, and they all in one shape, uh, in one way failed. You know, some tried to cheat, some tried and, you know, chickened out and the, and another died as a result. And, yeah. um, but I think the one, the one sitter that, uh, came to her and I think, they kind of touched on it, but they also handled it a bit differently than the way the traditional story did, was the emperor himself. Because hmm. in the story of the uh, the bamboo cutter, um, you know, he did initially, you know, was ra- he was rather shocked when uh, Kaguya said she didn't want to see him or she didn't want to marry him. And, of course, the emperor, he was not used to being turned down. But at the same time, you know, and as they show in the movie, you know, he actually tries to take her by force, and that's the point where she kind of snaps to the point where she's like, that no, I'm is, not dealing with this anymore. That is one of the most remarkable moments in the movie mm-hmm. for me. You know, like, because I think it's kind of funny how he's depicted as, like, this really entitled asshole who is mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, she doesn't want me? 
well, I want her even more then, you know. <laughs> um, and the moment at which um, he sort of, he approaches her from behind and mm-hmm. he sort of tries to slide his arms in front of her and embrace her from behind is unbelievably creepy. Mm-hmm. And watching it every time, I've seen the movie like three times now and every time I watch it, you just yeah, I mean, like, I just feel violated to see him yeah. watching Well, you, Kaguya's face kind of sells it at that moment because, you know, that that's really sells the creepiness and just her reaction to him just kind of grabbing yeah. her without her consent. Yeah. Well, plus he follows it up with that line, like, oh, the women love it when I do this. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and you're like, what the, what? <laughs> yeah, but it, it was something really It's creepy. interesting. To note that, um, at least in the original fairy tale, that uh, actually, because you know, the uh, one male, you know, Sutomaru, he wasn't actually in the original tale, that it seemed like out of all, all the suitors, that in at least in the, from what I took from the story, at least it, it sounded like the emperor himself was actually the character she became the closest to. That's, yeah, that's why, when, that's um, why I heard as well. Yeah, because when uh, she's when the, the celestials or the people from the moon come to take her away. You know, she's given um, a potion of immortality in order which to drink because, you know, that's something that she needs when she's going to live up there because they're all immortal. She actually mm-hmm. gives him some, you know, a, a po- you know, a, a bit of the potion to drink, you know, for, for him to wait for her. But he, I don't think he really wanted to do that. So he orders a vassal to take that potion of life, of, long, uh, of longevity, and throwing it into a volcano. Which turns out to be Mount what uh, how it originated originated the name of Mount Fuji. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, oh, sorry. All right. Thank you. I'm enjoying talking about the rest of the movie. It's amazing. Everyone, go see it. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, Rachel. Oh, Take care. Bye. <laughs> okay. We had a question about this, didn't we? Okay. Yeah, I have some super quick thoughts. Um, they will be brief. <laughs> okay, so basically, um, that's true. Watching the movie, it does feel like you're watching someone's sketchbook come to life. Um, with all the sort of blank spaces, uh, in the screen. You know, it's, uh, it's interested, and you know, this kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier about it being very suggestive. It's suggestive even on the macro level of, you know, depicting, uh, scenery. So it doesn't, doesn't show everything. It looks, you know, quote unquote, unfinished. Comp- only, you know, it looks unfinished compared to, you know, other Ghibli movies perhaps. So, the reasons for this are kind of interesting. It looks like, you know, it looks like a, like a scroll painting, 
like a Japanese scroll painting. And Takahata has thought a lot about those, and he said in the past that he posits, you know, he posits that they're um, the ancestors to animation in how they sort of tell a story in a sequence. So there's part of which is part of that which is sort of paying paying homage to that. But in Takahata's own development, um, the sort of open spaces thing sort of began with his 1991 film Only Yesterday, which is about um, an, a woman in her late 20s who reminisces about her childhood. And when she reminisces about her childhood, these are shown in flashback sequences. And the backgrounds and the art style in particular, in, you know, in general, in these flashback sequences are very suggestive. The colours are kind of muted and the backgrounds are like watercolour sketches. And they're a bit more detailed than Princess Kaguya. But it's essentially the same idea. You know, if there's a path... Mm. You won't see the end of the path. The lines will just sort of trail off a little bit. And it will, and it sort of has this effect of feeling quite dreamlike, which is, you know, appropriate. Um, so that's probably where for Takahata his sort of open blank spaces in the screen sort of began. And then by the time in 1999 he got to making, um, My Neighbors the Yamadas, he was really influenced by a French-Canadian animator called Frederick Back, um, who, uh, you know, who people might know, uh, made a film called The Man Who Planted Trees oh, and another one called Crack, um, which is about a rocking chair. Or well, I think it starts with a rocking chair, but... I remember there being a rocking chair somewhere. Um, but basically, Frederick Back influenced Takahata in that he, he had a very um, similarly sort of suggestive style where his films look like sketches with parts of the screen sort of unfinished or suggesting, you know, not, not suggesting very much. And Frederick Back really showed Takahata, he felt, that you could do this sort of thing in animation. And that's why um, My Neighbors of the Yamadas looks as sparing as it is because he saw Frederick Back's animation and he went, I'm going to try and do this with my stuff. Um, so, like, that's where, you know, in, in Takahata's development, where the sort of blank spaces thing came from. Uh, but, yeah, I think it works really well in Kaguya. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think everyone else is kind of caricatures. Mm-hmm. You know, her um her sort of I don't know what you would call her, her sort of like finishing lady. The, the, uh, you know, she's a caricature. And then also her assistant, who looks like a sort of ponyo 
sort of minion character <laughs> um, uh, is very cartoony. And the bamboo cutter is as well. And I think they kind of have to be because Kaguya's depiction as a character is is very particular and she goes through lots of changes and she's purposefully, she's purposefully drawn differently throughout the movie. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Chris, because I think if everyone else was too realistic like her, it wouldn't work. But importantly, she's not aware of that. And, you know, she doesn't feel, um, you know, uh, quite typically, you know, the men around her sort of see her as this object. And she just wants to run in the wood and catch pheasants. And, um, well, no, I don't think it's, a, she's not even aware of what she's supposed to do. And she, she just feels. Yeah, she has a connection with the earth. I mean, what about yeah. the whole, the yeah. whole miniature that she builds of her old home that she desperately, where she desperately wants to be? You know, she, she recreates it in miniature in the backyard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, telling. <laughs> it's, you know, and then later destroys it. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. It's, yeah, it's just devastating. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'd like to know more about, because it's something I hadn't really thought about, but the movie sort of brought it up, and then I, I kept thinking about it. Like, I would like to know more about the history of that whole blackening of the teeth. <laughs> oh, that was just like a, that was just a weird fashion thing. You know, what? you can go, you can go through history and you can see crazy things that people did for fashion. Yeah. I, that so was, that... I think, I, I believe that's just what it is. Uh, some, that was something else. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but, but the amazing thing about the movie is that it understands how to relate this to a modern audience. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, um, like young girls watching this movie might watch Kikia being forced to go through those rituals and be able to relate them to how they're told to behave. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it's not, um, it's historical, but that does not get in the way. I don't no. think of like no. you understanding the movie. No, not at all. And it, I mean, it, it also just worked really well as a device <laughs> because yeah. it's kind of a horrific <laughs> shot when you see, you know, these black oh, and she pulls teeth. her face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she, yeah. She, she sort of looks like a kabuki mask. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and then another time when the um, when her teacher sort of does the same thing. I mean, they're just they're, it creates an opportunity for that for that face. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, for every time like we refer to the movie as like this, this tragedy, there's a lot in it that's actually genuinely entertaining. Oh yeah. I think, and um, <laughs> you know, when I um, when I saw it in the cinema, people were laughing, and it was you could feel people being entertained like they would any other movie, <laughs> which is also quite an achievement considering how it looks. Because it looks like it would turn a lot of people away, or it looks as though it would be this sort of arty farty 
thing, you know, that was a bit more serious. But I, I think I think it's actually quite an entertaining movie. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, no, I agree. I think that's, um, yeah, I, I think that's interesting because, you know, compared, like, Pompoco, um, you know, people just look at that and just see balls <laughs> and just go, what the hell is this? And it's a little bit too, it's been stewing a little bit too long in a very, very, very Japanese culture to, to, I think, work fantastically well outside of Japan. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I look out for it every time. It makes me laugh. I'm so immature, but it makes me laugh. <laughs> no, you can see it. You can see it. It's on. It's on every time. It's on film four. If even if they're showing it on a bank holiday morning, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Um. So I mean, the the the, the weird thing about the movie is, it kind of, you know. It, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it kind of proves that quote-unquote unhappy endings don't spoil a movie, I think. How do people feel about that? Right. Right. I and I I um I absolutely understand. And I think that's kind of what I mean when I say he's an objective filmmaker. And that he's yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to watch um only yesterday then.
No, you might you might not be. You might not be. I mean, I think he does offer something different to Zaki movies, and you know, it's not just internationally that people feel this way. General audiences, I mean, you know, um, in Japan, people, you know, his films financially don't do as well. Um, so they can. I mean, I've. They connect to me on a different in a different way. Um, I was reading a review um, where someone was saying about Princess Kaguya, and I can't remember where it was, so I'll have to put that in the show notes or something. But essentially, this review was saying that Takahata was more interested in having us think than feel. So, particularly with the ending of Princess Kaguya, where everything sort of comes to a head, and the bamboo cutter and his wife suddenly regretting everything they've done and Princess Kaguya is just in the middle of it all um, and sort of without much of a choice you know being pushed this way and that um, we're not really getting catharsis in the way that we're used to watching movies it's not like uh, a very clean resolution it's a bit more of a tricky sort of feeling. And and the review was basically saying, you're not really being invited to feel as you more are to think. Uh, I don't know. I, and mm. I, I disagree because I break down in tears watching the ending. Yeah, it's I, devastating. But I kind of understand where it's coming from, where it's... And do you know what? I think The Wind Rises actually is on Miyazaki in that it has a similar resolution where the ending is not uplifting, but it's very emotional and there's something about it which affects you, you know, um, and makes you feel something, even if it's not particularly good or bad. Um, and, you know, I want more... I love films like that. I would be interested in hearing what you thought about it after the after you turned off the dub and turned the subtitles on, just to see, you know. It's interesting, though. I mean, yeah, I wonder if you would have a different experience, you know. I think you can. I, um, you know, I, uh, I feel they are different movies in English and Japanese, and when you watch, you know, I was used to watching Spirited Away in Japanese a lot, and then I watched the dub um, at a screening, and it did feel like a different movie, and something, you know, you know, uh, Miyazaki and Takahata directed the voices mm-hmm. when they're directing these movies as well. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. It is huge. It is. And I I think. I mean, the animation is hand in hand with the voice acting. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, I feel like maybe Rachel might have a better something to say about this, but I Mm -hmm. feel the role of voice actors in Japan is slightly different as it is to 
America and the job of a animation voice actor is understood a little bit differently. Hmm. And I felt this like watching the early Ghibli dubs like Laputa, where everything is very, very over the top and mm. yeah. people are sort of screaming and, you know, making strange noises like it's a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, rather I've than, always had a problem with that big yeah, problem with that. It's way distracting. Rather than, <laughs> and yeah, and they're trying to distract you and go, oh, it's animation, so I'm going to do a funny voice. Mm-hmm. Rather than kind of, you know, treating it like, um, actually, incidentally, I think Marion Max is one of the only English, uh, language animated movies which gets away from that for me. The way how the voices are directed is much more naturalistic than the sorts what we're used to in animation in English, I think. Right. Yeah. I, I Yeah, and I think actually the fact that Song of the Sea and Princess Kudio got nominated in the same year for Oscars <laughs> and in a few countries came out in the same year um, is really interesting. They would probably be quite a good double bill <laughs> because they are sort of about folk tales, but also real people in the middle of folk tales. And you know, the father figures are kind <laughs> of similar. It's a lot of loss. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might be too much for a double bill, but it would be a, no. <laughs> a sad evening. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then you just wander into a bar somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Song of the Sea Second wouldn't be too bad. Right, right. That's that would be better. Too. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, sorry by the way for referring a bunch to lots of Takahata movies. Just in general, if you don't, if you're not familiar with him. Uh, which is which is likely because he's just the lesser known director at, at Ghibli uh, after Miyazaki. I check out his movies. Don't go in expecting the same sort of things you get from Miyazaki movies because you won't find it. Um, Miyazaki's interested in fantasy, and Takahata's not. Lots mm-hmm. of his things are, as I've said before, like you know about depicting daily life and. Um, in fact, his, he, he did lots of work in TV. Hmm. He did an adaptation of Heidi and Anne of Green Gables, um, which I've heard are amazing and they're kind of hard to track down and Panic Panda. So, <laughs> you know, he's a legend. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's it on is. the American Blu-ray and it's been released separately in the UK. You can. Mhm. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I had. I, I did watch the documentary, and part of me wasn't surprised <laughs> because it depicted just carnage. <laughs> um actually you know on the on on the DVD of only yesterday there is a documentary about the making of that movie oh. and it was produced by Miyazaki 
which I think is the only movie he's produced. And Miyazaki and Takahata seem very, very different in that Miyazaki is a get it done or you're dead kind of guy. And Takahata <laughs> is like, well, you know, we'll get it right eventually. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> and I started watching... States, yeah. go flying by. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I started watching the documentary directly after the movie, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like I, uh, oh, could I, I mean, you? I, yeah, yeah, I wanted, right. I just couldn't, because I was too, like, emotionally affected by the movie, and I just couldn't handle the. He's sort of like flopping around, not looking at the camera a little bit in the first like few minutes, and mm. I was just like, I couldn't deal. But I really, really want to watch it. <laughs> it's so, really interesting. He uh-huh. talks about the movie. Yeah, more than, I, more than Miyazaki does. So wow. when Miyazaki's making documentaries, he just talks about animation and whatever's on his mind that day. Uh-huh. But Takahata talks about the story's themes a little bit. Yeah. And seems, how he's yeah. purposefully trying to depict the moon as like the next world. Wow. Yeah. And, I, I, it was just know. like, it seemed already like a little like, kind of heavy. I was like, okay, not now. I'm going to watch this tomorrow. <laughs> it's a, well, yeah. I mean, it took them, it took them seven years to make the film altogether. <laughs> and then on top of that, they had like a, not, I wouldn't say disastrous, but wow. intense, turbulent, like production from the looks of it. Wow. Um, they shut down like a few times. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, the documentary is worth checking out because purposefully the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness omits Takahata and he's sort of a presence in the movie uh, like like Godot or something, you know, uh, where, where it's that's like... That's uh, fascinating. Where he's not there and his presence and his, his non-presence is part of it. But the documentary oh, about great. Kaguya, where he mm-hmm. is there, is oh. kind of equally fascinating. Oh, that's great. I'm going to watch those back to back. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I do. I have to. Yeah, me too. For me, I, so I was thinking about what to say about this in the week. And I want to say something about it in terms of like, essentially, I think it's, it's, it's really difficult, but for me, it's fair to say that Ghibli has kind of happened. And we're not going to see Miyazaki and Takahata again at the cinema. For me, that's really significant because they kind of changed what animation films are for for me, and I think for you know certainly the world. Um, and I was reminded, like watching this, watching um, Princess Kaguya. I mean, like you know, there's a moment at the end where where they're flying, where there's yeah. this this flying sequence, and there is a movement that happens in that, which is exactly identical to one that Chihiro and Haku do in Spirited Away when they're flying at the end of Spirited Away. 
And there was, uh, for me, there was like an implication of a gesture in there of him saying to Miyazaki, this is how it's done. <laughs> because, you know, he's, he's, um, they've always been quite explicit about their relationship and Takahata being the senior. And I was also reminded of, you know, um, Milk Carl, who is like <laughs> a legendary Disney animator. The last movie he worked on at Disney was The Rescuers. And I can't remember the name of the character he animated. Um, the woman with like the red hair. The villain. Uh, I don't remember her name. Madam something, maybe. Well, anyway, on his last day at Disney, Milk Carl drew uh, an animation drawing of this... Um, of this villain character. And Milk Carl was known, you know, for his draftsmanship. He was, you know, it's kind of safe to say that he was considered undeniably the best draftsman ever at Disney. Um, and he drew this picture and apparently he wrote at the bottom of this picture, beat this. <laughs> Which I really like because it's kind of, you know, it's like, it's a, um, it's an offensive thing to say, but it's also an inviting thing to say. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you know, I was this good. Be this, you know, are you going to be better <laughs> than me? Are you not? And for me, like, that was the same feeling I got thinking about Princess Kaguya, where Takahata had just had such an amazing career. And he completely, and he was instrumental in changing what animation, uh, filmmaking is. You know, not just in Japan, but now, you know, his influence is being felt over the world, I think, that I had the same feeling, you know, him saying, this is how I've done it, you know, have at it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, I mean, the message of the beautiful movie too is it's almost like, uh, like a cautionary tale, <laughs> like, um, you know, to, I don't know. I don't, at least for me, like I watched it and I thought like, you know, you sort of want to live your best life and it also, you know, motivates you to make good work, try and make good work. <laughs> Cause the thing's so beautiful, but yeah, I don't know. It's a beautiful movie. <laughs> yeah. For me, there's going to be, I think every time I see it, I'm going to yeah. see something different another message I know yeah it's true you know I, I think I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing which is ever going to be my favourite movie you know but it's going to be something that I'm going to return to and and probably see a lot out of I don't think it's you know Chris I don't think it's going to be something you're going to watch and it's going to be like a a spirited away or kicking delivery service where you're just in love with everything that's happening. It's a bit of, um, it does leave an uneasy feeling as well. I don't know. I sort of like, the, I love that kind of, um, I love it when movies sort of give you that feeling and, and the animation alone would bring me back to rewatch it over and over again. Yeah. 
Yeah, thanks. And th- thanks, Chris, for, um, you know, for, for making it. Oh, sorry, you've been uh, a bit under the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I think all in all, also, we've been a little bit more positive than we were last week. <laughs> or certainly I have, at least. I listened back, and oh my god, I was just like, I'm not fucking retarded, it's a waste of time. And like, I sounded so grumpy. I was having a bad day, obviously. <laughs> no. <laughs> You can find my princess, Taylor Princess Kaguya review there. If you didn't have, if you, if you didn't get enough out of everything I rambled about, there's still more. You can find me at home a week where I have a week off work and no one will be disturbing me. It will be gorgeous. But also, I'll probably be on Twitter a lot as well. <laughs> at Hamu. Um, I'm on Twitter at iSnare underscore Inc. And, yep. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.